Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerning Hearts presents Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. This podcast is an audio taken from a Discerning Hearts seminar conducted by Father Gallagher on Discerning the Will of God. Handouts alluded to by Father Gallagher can be found in the post connected to this episode at discerninghearts.com. The video instruction can be found in the same post as well or on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. We now begin Conference 6 of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. So, welcome back. And I'd like to just pick right up with uh, where we were last time. We had concluded looking at this experience of William on the train as he's riding across California, leaving home and heading to school. And he experiences an uplifting movement of the heart, the sense of confidence of God's closeness and warmth and love. And this is very clearly on the spiritual level. This is spiritual consolation. Let's look at a second example of this. And this is George. And George prays before the Blessed Sacrament for a half hour daily. And on this particular day, he writes, This morning at the chapel, prayer was difficult. In spite of so many and fervent appeals to Christ's love, there was no feeling in me of response from the Beloved. I then turned to our Blessed Lady and said something like this, Please ask your son to grant me the grace to love him more and more. This was said only a very few minutes before the end of the half hour, which had been arid. Suddenly, I felt a very sweet touch, which warmed my whole being and stirred me to feelings of deep and moving gratitude to the Beloved and to his mother. And again with reverence. As George prays, his prayer has been difficult, but now in the final moments of his prayer, George experiences an uplifting movement of the heart, a warm, he says, a very sweet touch. And we've all had experiences like this in our own prayer and over the years in our spiritual lives, and we rightfully treasure them. He experiences this uplifting movement of his heart. It's warmed with a sense of God's closeness and love. Uh, of, of both the Lord and of his Blessed Mother. And it's very clear that this uplifting movement of the heart is on the spiritual level. It's not just that he's enjoying listening to nice music or something like that, which is a good thing. But this is very clearly on, not simply on the natural, human, or non-spiritual level, but it's very much on the spiritual level. So that George experiences in those final minutes of his half hour of prayer that day, what Ignatius would call spiritual consolation. Okay. This is how Ignatius describes these experiences in his set of 14 rules. When the soul is inflamed with love, he says of its creator and Lord of God. So you're praying, uh, you read an email that tells you that things have worked out. You feel a warm surge of love, uh, of God's love in your heart. The heart is warmed, sometimes inflamed. It can be so strong that that's the only, only right word for it. Beautiful experiences. And when he says, consequently, when our hearts are warmed this way with God's love, 
We can only love created things, that is, places, occupations, relationships, possessions, all of this. We can only love them in God so that that split that sometimes we feel between where God is leading and other attractions of our heart uh, simply wanes and passes away. And we are set free to love what Ignatius calls created things uh, simply in God. There's a beautiful harmony in our lives when this grace is given. Ignatius also describes tears that are motivated by the love of God. One of us goes to confession. He, she has something that it's going to be hard to say, but with courage says it. And then the is received with great kindness and goodness by the priest, his words, and then the absolution lift the burden from his heart, from her heart, and maybe just the beginning or more of a tear comes to his eye, to her eye. Beautiful experiences of spiritual consolation. In every increase, Ignatius says of hope, um, Lord, it, it's going to work out. Uh, the doubt and the fear that I felt is lightened. You'll see me through. Faith, I'm at Mass this day, and when the readings are being pronounced, I have a very lively sense of God, Jesus speaking directly to my heart. When the, um, the bread is consecrated and is held up, elevated, this is my body, I have a very lively sense this day of the truth of the Lord's real presence or a family member in whom this day I sense the Lord's presence in, in, a, in a lively way. And then charity, when our, when our hearts are, are warmed with a sense of being loved by God, and we experience a warmth of love for others in God. Beautiful gifts. And then finally, Ignatius says, all joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the things of salvation. So that in a day, a morning, a week, several weeks of spiritual consolation, uh, we look forward to prayer. Uh, we love being before the Eucharist. Uh, we, we, scripture is alive for us, or the liturgy of the hours, engagement in the life of the parish, or the activity of this particular faith formation or Bible study group, or um, service to the poor, and so forth, taking new steps and living our vocations more deeply. All of this calls and attracts us in the joy of spiritual consolation, which is a beautiful gift when God gives it. So these are experiences of spiritual consolation. And as we recall, Ignatius tells us that if God is giving discernment according to the second mode, the person will be experiencing times of spiritual consolation. And also its direct contrary, which is spiritual desolation. So again, let's look at some examples. And this is Alice in the handout. Alice is a dedicated woman of faith. So this is a woman who loves the Lord and is faithful, active for years in her parish. Sharing the life of the parish is a source of spiritual strength for her and brings her joy in the Lord. Uh, You can hear spiritual consolation there. Joy, the uplifting movement of the heart in the Lord on the spiritual level. More recently, she has moved to a new town and joined the local parish. Here too, Alice has sought involvement in the parish community, but in her new setting has found this more difficult. A year passes amid struggles, and she begins to question the value of her efforts. So things have been hard for her as she's tried to insert herself actively in the new parish. Alice sees herself as a pretty complete failure and feels altogether discouraged. So this is just on the natural, emotional, psychological, what we'd call a non-spiritual level. Understandably, she's made an effort for a year, and it really hasn't um, brought uh, much fruit. 
Recently, even in her own personal prayer, so you can see the spiritual level coming into this now, she has experienced feelings of emptiness, of being abandoned by God, just feeling far from God. She feels that God is no longer near, and she becomes overwhelmed with frustration. She wonders in the confusion of all of this if she isn't altogether losing her faith in God's loving care. Very reverently, have any of us ever felt anything like this? You have and I have, and I cannot say this too often. When I teach these rules, I repeat it endlessly. And to this day, no one has ever said to me, you say this too often. There is no shame in experiencing this kind of spiritual desolation. There is no shame. What does matter is to discern it, um, as Ignatius is going to teach us, to know, to understand it and know how to respond to it. She does continue to be faithful to community worship and her personal times for prayer, but it all seems hopeless and meaningless. So with reverence, let's go back over Anne's experience. So Anne is experiencing what Ignatius calls spiritual desolation, by which he means a heavy movement of the heart, a downward or heavy movement of the heart, discouragement, sadness, hopelessness, confusion, and so forth. Anne experiences heavy movements of the heart, and as we've seen very much on the level of her relationship with God, her prayer seems empty. She does remain faithful, but it feels meaningless, like nothing's going to come from it. She doesn't feel God's closeness. There's a kind of heavy discouragement in all of this, which is very much on the spiritual level. So with reverence, uh, Anne is our sister in this. We've all experienced this. Uh, Anne is experiencing what Ignatius calls spiritual desolation. And let's look at one more experience. This is Walter. Walter ended the preceding day discouraged by difficulties at work and tired from the long hours he's been working. So Walter ends the day experiencing just a human, natural, again, if I can use the word, non-spiritual, emotional, physical, psychological sort of deficit. He's tired uh, physically. He's discouraged emotionally. Again, we all go through times like this in life. And now watch how in the vulnerability of this non-spiritual, just natural desolation, uh, the, the trial of spiritual desolation enters. This is the work of the one Ignatius calls the enemy, which is Satan and his associated fallen angels, the wound of concupiscence in us as a legacy of original sin, and then harmful. It's just the influences in the world around us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's just the, the classic triad. And I'll use Ignatius' own word. Um, the enemy, which is a good word. The enemy is the one who is seeking to make difficult, put obstacles in the way of our progress and growth toward God. So he found it hard to pray before retiring and did not feel God's presence as he prayed. You can see similarities with Alice's experience here. Walter prays for a half hour each morning before work. This morning, as he rises, his heart is still discouraged and burdened. He begins his prayer as usual, but with the sense that his prayer will be in vain. Reverently, have you ever felt that? You know, here's my time of prayer, but I just feel like I'm so distracted and troubled and discouraged that I just feel like I'm not even going to be able to really pray. No shame in experiencing that. It's simply a tactic of the enemy. What matters is to be aware of it, to understand it for the tactic of the enemy that it is, and firmly to reject it. 
and Ignatius supplies tools for that in his rules. The first few minutes are dry and distracted, and a feeling grows in him that the whole time of prayer will be fruitless. Walter finds himself considering simply ending the prayer. (laughs) Have you ever felt that, too? Uh, I have, and you have, sure. Those who know the 14 rules will recognize rule five here, the enemy trying to get us to change our spiritual proposals when we are in the discouragement of spiritual desolation. This prayer isn't going anywhere. Uh, What's the point of staying here a half hour? You're 15 minutes into it. Why not just end it? Or why bother going on that retreat you'd planned or going to confession on Saturday the way you'd planned or dedicating those minutes to prayer every day the way you'd planned, taking those new steps in your vocation and so on. Uh, It's just a classic tactic of the enemy to try to get us to change those plans or proposals when we are in a time of spiritual desolation. And as the rule says, Ignatius says very um, firmly, in time of desolation, never make those changes. So Walter, like Alice, experiencing spiritual desolation, heavy movements of the heart on the spiritual level, on the level of his relationship with God. He doesn't feel God's closeness of his prayer, which seems empty and meaningless and so forth. This is what Ignatius means by spiritual desolation, and he describes it through a series of experiences. So spiritual desolation is darkness of soul. You, go, you went through the last week with, you were faithful to your prayer and everything, but there was just a sense of something's not right, and I can't make sense out of it. There's a kind of heaviness, um, disturbance of soul. The peace that I was feeling before, Lord, in my relationship with you and my prayer is just not there right now. Uh, There's a sense of trouble somewhere. Movement to low and earthly things. The man sits at his desk at 10 o'clock in the evening after the discouraging day, tired. And there's the Bible that he usually reads for 10 minutes, makes an examination of conscience and ends his day. Nothing in him wants to reach out for the Bible. And there in front of the other hand on the desk is the phone. And everything in him wants to reach out for it in a way that Ignatius calls a movement to low and earthly things. No shame in feeling that. It's simply a tactic of the enemy in time of spiritual desolation, but it's obviously very important that we be aware, understand that this is a tactic of the enemy, and firmly reject it. Obviously, the phone can be used in very good ways, but we all know what we're speaking about in the discouragement of spiritual desolation. We'll return to this special presentation of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
We now return to this special presentation of Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. Disquiet from various agitations and temptations, uh, troubling thoughts, stirrings of our heart, move in and out, various temptations. Why don't you let your prayer go till later? You can let yourself have that, see that. It doesn't have to get too far out of hand and so forth. I can't say too often, no shame, simply a tactic of the enemy. Be aware, understand, and reject. Lack of confidence. Um, Look at you struggling to pray. You're never going to be much of a woman of prayer, a man of prayer. Why bother going on that retreat? You'll hear some nice things, but don't think anything's really going to change in your spiritual life. And on and on and on. We've all heard those voices. No shame. This is where I love what Ignatius does for us in these 14 rules. They can, they can set you free from these tactics of the enemy. And let's just keep in mind that Jesus didn't come, that we might be held captive to these discouraging lies of the enemy. He came to set captives free. Hope, the prayer today, uh, these efforts you're making, we're not going to really go anywhere. And then lack of love. This is when we don't do the opposite of feeling the warmth of God's closeness and love and love for others in, in the Lord. Now there's a kind of feeling of coldness, of distance, and so forth. Feeling, Ignatius says, totally slothful, tepid, sad. There's the Bible study. I love going to it on Wednesday nights or digitally, perhaps. Uh, but today, in the time of spiritual desolation, I have no energy for it. There's no fervor in it, no sense of joy or anticipation in it. No shame, simply a tactic of the enemy. And then finally, Ignatius says, we feel in a time of spiritual desolation as if, and advisedly as if, because it's not true, but this will be the feeling, as if separated from our Creator and Lord. So Alice, as she sits there with that sort of hopeless effort to pray, and uh, Walter, when he tries to pray, but it's so discouraging and likewise feels hopeless, their sense, they feel as if separated from their Creator and Lord, like I'm here Lord, and you're a million miles away. It's not true. God is Emmanuel with us to the close of the age. But the feeling in time of spiritual desolation will be that I'm here and you're at a distance. Now, let me ask this. Has anyone, is there any one of us connected now or watching this later who has never experienced any of this? Every one of us has. I do. I have. I do. I will. Uh, and you have, and you do, and you will, and there's no shame in it. But so much can change in our spiritual lives when we become aware of this tactic of the enemy and spiritual desolation, and we learn how to name it for what it is, and then we know how to take steps to reject it. And that's what Ignatius is doing in his roles for discernment, as I mentioned. So this is his list of experiences of spiritual desolation. All right. Now, to get back to the reason why we took a moment to go through spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, because if God is giving his answer in a discernment through second mode discernment, then the language that he uses is this heart level language of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolations, what Ignatius calls that the person is experiencing consolations and desolations. So through the weeks or months of the discernment, God is giving experiences of spiritual consolation, and the enemy may be attempting to discourage the person also at times through experiences of spiritual desolation. Okay, so in the course of the discernment, the person is experiencing consolations and desolations. 
So for example, as Brian, if you remember him, who has been working in finance and is wondering now if God is calling him to optometry uh, to be a more direct way of serving him. He feels attractions toward this, and he and his wife, Lisa, are in a process of discernment. If God is calling Brian to discern according to second mode discernment, then in the course of this discernment, through the weeks or maybe months of this, Brian will be experiencing spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations. All right, that's the first experience that is constitutive of second mode discernment. Obviously, there's a piece missing yet because it's not enough that he be experiencing spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations for him to see clearly where God is leading in this discernment, but he needs um, an interpretive key. He needs to be able to make spiritual sense out of what is happening through these spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations. That'll be the second experience Ignatius includes in second mode discernment. So, and that is precisely the experience of discerning the spiritual significance of the consolations given by the good spirit and the desolations, again, spiritual given by the enemy. The different spirits, that's what Ignatius means, the good spirit, who is God, the good angels, the work of grace in us as a fruit of baptism, and good influences around us in the world. That is, good spirit for Ignatius means God and all of those influences which are from God and directed toward God. So good spirit and enemy. So what Ignatius, when Ignatius speaks of the experience of discerning different spirits, what he means is discerning as spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations are being given, what is the good spirit saying through the spiritual consolations and what is the enemy trying to say through the spiritual desolation? So that's the experience of discernment of different spirits. Okay, I've just uh, answered what I've put up here. So what is the experience of discernment of different spirits? Concretely speaking, how do we do this? With two helps. With the rules that Ignatius gives us, the rules for the discernment of spirits, and Ignatius always presumes in second mode discernment the help of a competent spiritual director, somebody who can help us discern well what the good spirit or the enemy are saying through their respective experiences of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. What do we mean then by discernment of spirits? It's these three steps that I've been indicating that we be aware if the good spirit is giving spiritual consolation, uh, just to be aware that it's happening. If the enemy is bringing spiritual desolation, to be aware that that's happening, to work with the tools that our tradition and Ignatius in a primary way give us until we understand what is of the good spirit and what is of the enemy in it. And once we have understood that, to take the appropriate action, accepting, drinking in, being guided by, putting into practice what is of the good spirit and firmly rejecting what is of the enemy so that it can never harm us. That's what Ignatius means by the experience of discernment of spirits. Okay. And the rules for discernment of spirits that Ignatius gives us in the spiritual exercises are there to help us do this. So this is my warm recommendation. In another setting uh, with Discerning Hearts and Chris, we uh, went through uh, Ignatius's 14 rules of his first set and eight rules of his second set for discernment. And those are available through Discerning Hearts and um, YouTube and in good many settings. 
So uh, if, if the first set of rules is new to you, I warmly recommend that you dedicate some time to learning those rules. You will love what those rules will do for your spiritual life and certainly uh, in times of discernment, but in an ongoing way in your daily spiritual life and also in times of discernment. Uh, as I mentioned, I did a series of podcasts with Chris uh, on this. You can find these on Discerning Hearts and the many places in which these are available. They're also up on YouTube. And uh, this is the book that I wrote on that, which would take you systematically through each of the 14 rules of Ignatius' first set. As I mentioned, he has two sets of rules. If you are new to the rules or just have a brief um, acquaintance with the first set of rules, I would not move quickly to the second set of rules. Learn about the first set, practice them in your life for a while, then you'll be ready to go through the second set, which comes a little bit later along the spiritual journey. Very important in its own time, but a little bit later. And then more recently, I've done some uh, shorter books, which can introduce you to the, uh, the first set of rules, the small book, When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, and then an application of these 14 rules to marriage. So that's my warm recommendation. Uh, become familiar with these rules. You will join tens and probably hundreds of thousands of people who have been doing this in recent years, and like them, you will love what will happen in your spiritual life. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to Ignatius for the, those 14 rules in my own life, how many bad decisions I have not made because of those rules, and how many good decisions I've been helped to make through them, and how they help me through times of discouragement or desolation, as they will you. All right, so that's what Ignatius means by the double experience of second-mode discernment, experience of spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations, and then the experience of discerning their meaning through the application of the rules and with the help of a spiritual director. So let's get concrete now, and let's look at a time when Ignatius has an experience along these lines, and you have this in the handout. So this page that we have is taken from what's called Ignatius's Spiritual Diary, which is uh, a notebook and a few pages, a collection of notes that Ignatius took during a time of an important discernment. And uh, the background to this is the following. Ignatius uh, is in Rome at the what is today the Church of the Jesu, and there you see it as it appears today if you visit it in Rome. And uh, where Ignatius is residing, this is the Jesuit community house as it looks today. It was a much smaller and simpler house at the time. And Ignatius is writing the constitutions for the Jesuits. So this is a pretty important time. He's seeking light from God as to the, the type of life that his Jesuits are called to live then and then down through the centuries, knowing that this is going to uh, affect the lives of thousands, not only of Jesuits, but through them of many other people as well. The issue now is poverty. What kind of poverty God wants his Jesuits to live? And Ignatius is writing the text in the Constitutions on poverty. And the question is, does God want them to continue, as they've been doing, to live a radical Franciscan-like poverty in which they have no fixed income and they are simply dependent upon divine providence for what they need and they'll beg for what they need? Or is God calling them to just a slight mitigation, still a very radical poverty, but a slight mitigation of that for the sake of the upkeep of their churches and the society. 
so that their mission will be better um, fulfilled. And what Ignatius decides to do is to celebrate Mass on 40 days from the Lord, seeking light in this discernment. And what you have in the handout now are the first days of this, and then a further day uh, in the process. So if you'll take the handout, let's look at what Ignatius describes here. So the first day is um, the Saturday, day one, in these 40 days. And Ignatius, had, there's a chapel in the house. That's where Ignatius celebrates the Mass. His room, are, uh, his personal room is just a few steps away. If you ever go to Rome and you can visit those rooms, um, I, when I did, it was a very powerful experience, unexpectedly for me. In, in the noise and bustle and the architectural majesty of the Ro buildings in Rome, suddenly you, you enter these simple, almost bare Franciscan-like spaces of quiet and simplicity of life. It's, I, I found it a very moving thing that Ignatius created that in the midst of the city of Rome. But that's where this takes place. So the first day is Saturday. Deep devotion at Mass with tears and increased confidence in Our Lady. If we were together in the same room, I would uh, ask, but I, and I'll ask it now uh, via cyberspace, what's Ignatius experiencing uh, during the Mass um, as he celebrates it? Deep devotion, tears, increased confidence in Our Lady. Obviously, he's experiencing very warm and rich spiritual consolation. And note what follows. As he experiences this spiritual consolation, more inclination to complete poverty, that's the radical poverty, then and throughout the day, so that not only as he is warmly spiritually consoled during the Mass, does he feel the inclination toward the option in the discernment, which is the radical poverty, but as the spiritual consolation continues to warm the rest of the day, all throughout the day, he, his heart feels inclined or drawn toward the radical poverty. Second day, Sunday, the same, which means, again, the Mass is filled with warm and rich and abundant spiritual consolation, even to tears. And more inclination to no revenue, that's the radical poverty, then and throughout the day. So again, as in the preceding Saturday, Spiritual consolation fills the Mass and the day, and in the course of it, in the Mass and throughout the day, he feels a consistent drawing toward the radical poverty. All right, third day, Monday, the same. So again, Ignatius, who never uses an extra word, indicates by that that he again feels warm, rich, abundant spiritual consolation during the Mass. And with other feelings and more inclined to no revenue throughout the day. Again, in the Mass and throughout the day, which are filled with a warmth of consolation, he continues to feel drawn toward the radical poverty. Tuesday, by now you can see a pattern emerging. Tuesday, an abundance of devotion before Mass. So there's warm, abundant spiritual consolation even before the Mass. During the Mass and after it, Tears, so rich spiritual consolation before, during, and after Mass. I felt more inclined to perfect poverty, again, the radical poverty, at the time, and also that inclination remains throughout the day. At this point, you can almost predict what's going to happen as these days unfold. Thursday, before Mass, with deep devotion 
and tears, and a notable warmth and devotion all throughout the day, being always moved to more perfect poverty. So what you see as these days unfold, day after day, Ignatius experiences a consistent attraction to one option in the time when God is giving him spiritual consolation. And that's the heart of of second mode discernment. If we've got that, we've got the heart of second mode discernment. That's what I mean by an attraction of the heart. When over time, as days and maybe weeks, maybe months, depending on the time uh, of uh, given to the discernment, when a person experiences, receives the grace and gift of spiritual consolation, his heart, her heart is consistently drawn toward one option. When this happens consistently and repeatedly as a recognizable pattern and an affirmed, solidified uh, through repetition over time, the person receives what Ignatius calls sufficient clarity and understanding about the option to which God is calling him, is calling her. But now on the 40th day, something else happens. So um, we're jumping now to the last day, and this is this March 12th. Now, throughout the um, 40 days that have just passed, Ignatius has felt consistently drawn to the radical poverty. And this has been so clear that Ignatius is now ready to conclude the discernment with the Mass on the 40th day, hoping for an experience of warm spiritual consolation, which will serve as a final confirmation that he really has discerned well. But the following happens. When the Mass was finished, and I haven't given you the text here, but the Mass, during the Mass, there are times of spiritual consolation, but there are also times of struggle in which the clarity of the discernment um, is questioned. And Ignatius has now walked those few steps from the chapel over to the simple space, which is his room, and the following takes place. When the Mass was finished and I was in my room afterward, I found myself utterly deserted and without any help, unable to feel the presence of my mediators. As you know, in the spiritual exercises, he has us ask Mary to obtain graces from her son and Jesus to obtain graces from the Father. So deserted, without any help, unable to feel the presence of my mediators or of the divine persons, but so remote and so separated from them, can you hear the language of spiritual desolation? feeling as if separated from one's creator and Lord. By the way, can you see why I can say so confidently that there is no shame in experiencing spiritual desolation? Here is Ignatius at the height of his sanctity in spiritual desolation. But what matters is precisely what you see Ignatius doing here. Can you see how aware he is of his spiritual experience, how able he is to name it, and then he's going, we're going to watch him respond to it. That's, that's what it means to live the discerning life. Uh, you can also see what Ignatius means by review of spiritual experience, as we spoke about it earlier. But feeling so remote and so separated from them, as if I had never felt their presence and never would again. Now, thoughts arise in his time of spiritual desolation, and I want to focus on one of them. Thoughts came to me at times against Jesus, even this, this man who loves the Lord so much, at times against another divine person, finding myself confused, this is classic spiritual desolation, with various thoughts, and he names a, a, a number of them, 
such as to leave the house and rent a room in order to get away from the noise or to fast or to begin the masses over again or to begin the masses all over again. Now I pause on that because what is that thought, thought saying? This thought which is arising out of the confusion and darkness of spiritual desolation. What it's saying, and here's the voice of the enemy here, is this. You set aside 40 days for this discernment. You thought that you had all the clarity that you needed, that God was calling you to the radical poverty. Look what's happening on this last day of the discernment. Nothing is clear. Everything is confused. Everything's upside down. This discernment hasn't worked. You need to set aside what's happened in these 40 days and begin the 40 masses all over again. All right, in terms of discernment of spirits, how do we understand and how do we respond to this thought which is arising in time of spiritual desolation? Can you see that the call to the radical poverty that was consistently confirmed in time of spiritual consolation, when the good spirit is working, is attacked in a time of spiritual desolation when the enemy is at work? And can you see, therefore, that what's happening on this 40th day is actually a further confirmation of the fact that God wants the radical poverty because the enemy is attacking it in a time of spiritual desolation? So this is the kind of experience of discernment of spirits which is involved in second-mode discernment. And you can see why Ignatius includes in second-mode discernment not only experiences a spiritual consolation, but also experiences a spiritual desolation. Because if the clarity given in time of spiritual consolation is contradicted and attacked and undermined in time of spiritual desolation when the enemy is speaking, it actually is a further confirmation that God, in fact, does want the radical poverty in Ignatius' case. It's a beautiful thing uh, when we use the enemy against himself by applying the wisdom of Ignatius' teaching on discernment of spirits. Now, let's look at a text in which Ignatius describes second-mode discernment a little more in detail than he does in the text of the spiritual exercises that we read earlier. You have this on page 10 of the handout. This uh, brief document that's called the Autograph Directory is a few pages of counsels that Ignatius put together for those who would be giving the spiritual exercises. And at this point in this brief document, he is describing second mode discernment. So he says, among the three modes of making a choice, this is where Ignatius uses the word mode that I'm using. Among the three modes of making a choice, if God does not move a person in the first mode, so God doesn't give first mode clarity, one should dwell persistently on the second. And now Ignatius describes what second mode discernment is, that of recognizing his vocation or career or ministry or service within the church, the new step for the family and so forth, by the experience of consolations and desolations. In such manner, and here's where he amplifies a bit what he says in the spiritual exercises, in such manner that as he continues with his meditations on Christ our Lord, as we said earlier, prayer and daily, ideally daily prayer with scripture, is for Ignatius um, an unquestioned part of discernment. Ignatius presumes daily prayer in a time of discernment. So Ignatius' presumption is that as the person is in the process of discernment, 
he or she is praying daily faithfully in terms of the retreat uh, repeatedly daily. So that as a person continues with this prayer, he, she observes when he finds himself in consolation to which part God moves him, like Ignatius, who when he is in spiritual consolation is consistently moved by God, feels an inclination of his heart toward the radical poverty. And likewise, when he finds himself in desolation. So Ignatius on the 40th day, when he's in spiritual desolation and finds that pull reversed um, to pull away from that clarity. And then Ignatius indicates that the person needs to know well what consolation and desolation are, which is why we've, at least briefly, which is all we can do in this setting, uh, talked about them. And what consolation is should be well explained. That is, example, spiritual joy, love, hope in things of above, tears, and every interior movement which leaves the soul consoled in our Lord. And then the contrary of this is desolation, sadness, lack of confidence, lack of love, dryness, etc. And then finally, the final uh, text of Ignatius that we need in order to understand second mode discernment, we find in Ignatius classic rule five uh, in the set of 14 rules. And where this is where, as I mentioned before, Ignatius says, when you are in a time of spiritual desolation, be aware, understand, when you are in a time of spiritual desolation, never change anything that you had planned, that you had in place in your spiritual life before that desolation began. That retreat you plan to go on and it's three days to go and you're in a time of desolation, maybe this isn't a good time to make it. Never make those changes. It's enough to know that you're in a time of spiritual desolation to know you should never make those changes. All right, that's the norm that Ignatius gives us in rule five, which by the way, will get you through almost any darkness you may experience in the spiritual life. If you add the second piece in rule 13, that is talk, don't be alone with the burden, but talk with a wise and competent spiritual person. Those two, two rules, no changes in desolation and don't be alone, talk with a wise and competent spiritual person. Those will get you safely through any spiritual darkness you may experience. But to return to our topic here, why, why should we make no changes in time of spiritual desolation? Because, and Ignatius says, because as in consolation, which spirit is speaking to our hearts and to our minds, the good spirit guides and counsels us more so in desolation, the bad spirit or the enemy, with whose counsels Ignatius goes on to say, we cannot find the way to a right decision. So that's the, the key which helps us interpret what our hearts are hearing in time of spiritual consolation and what they're hearing in time of spiritual desolation. And this is what Ignatius is describing in his first set of 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. So in second mode discernment, what we have is a consistent attraction to one option when a person is in receiving spiritual consolation, which may also be attacked in time of spiritual desolation, further confirming the discernment. And that's second mode discernment. Let's um, look at this experience of Richard. And you have this in the handout. So Richard is a college student and he is discerning between marriage and uh, a business career, and a call to the Jesuits. So as he tells us in January of this year, he decides that uh, God is calling him to marriage, but he doesn't really have peace about it. And then something happens, which opens up the discernment. The presence of sensible consolation, now we would say spiritual consolation, which is what he means by sensible, 
The presence of sensible or spiritual consolation when I reflected on joining the Jesuits was absolutely crucial to giving me the strength to make this decision. In retrospect, now you can already tell that we're in uh, second mode terrain here. What, what is key in his discernment? Uh, it's not a, a flash of clarity in a given moment like first mode discernment, but it's the experience of spiritual consolation. In retrospect, it seemed as though the Lord tricked me through this means to get past my own selfishness. Beginning in January of my senior year, I began experiencing consolation during prayer in a way I never experienced before in my life. Indeed, this was the beginning of my awakening to the Holy Spirit. I recall going up to church, sitting in front of the Sacred Heart altar, and being absolutely overwhelmed. This was the first time I had ever experienced this type of enjoyment from being with God. Now let's note the next sentence, which is pure second mode discernment. And this consolation was present whenever I reflected seriously on the possibility of joining the Jesuits. And because this is so consistent, it becomes clear to Richard that the Lord is calling him to the Jesuits. If I began to lose this desire, I would simply return to my parish church, sit in front of the Sacred Heart altar, and again, that consolation would be given to me. Throughout this period, I knew instinctively that this was the right decision for me because of this consolation. I think it's very clear that what Richard is describing is really, um, really classic second mode discernment. I had not the slightest knowledge of a technical process for finding God's will by reflecting on my inner experience, nor did I have the help of a counselor. We would say a spiritual director is what he means by it. I simply had a confirmation of sensible, that is, spiritual consolation. Now, Ideally, it would have been better had Richard had a spiritual director with whom to bring this. But one of the just amazingly beautiful things about God is that how God works with us takes us where we are. Uh, of course, if we can do what we're doing now and learn from our tradition, then so many things get easier, easier and clearer for us. But God works with Richard where he is, as he does with each of us. So he applies to the Jesuits in March. He's accepted. His entrance is in August, and he describes now what happens in the intervening months. I recall that I experienced many doubts in my own decision to enter the Jesuits between the period of March to August. But whenever I went to the church and sat in peace and sat in silence, my experience of peace was restored, and with it the conviction that God was calling me. So with reverence, because we're on holy ground in Richard's experience. Richard experiences a consistent attraction to one option in time of spiritual consolation. So this is clear second mode discernment. It's not just once or twice. Uh, can you see that whereas first mode discernment can take place in a single moment, second mode discernment takes place over time and a consistent pattern when a consistent pattern emerges. And Richard experiences this uh, every time he goes into the church and prays there before the Sacred Heart altar, um, and he considers seriously joining the Jesuits. This is always accompanied by spiritual consolation, so that he is receiving second-mode discernment from the Lord. In second-mode discernment, some qualities. As I mentioned, it takes place as a process over time. It's not a single moment. 
because it does take time for the pattern to emerge over weeks or days or months, respectively, depending on the discernment. And whereas in first mode discernment, one of the hallmarks of it is that there simply is no doubt then or ever during the process of second mode discernment. So let's say these months that Richard passes between uh, his clarity that God is calling him to the Jesuits and his actual entrance, uh, there can be doubts during the process before the point when the person receives sufficient clarity and understanding. So a person may meet with a director and say, I'm not sure, but I'm finding that um, uh, when I experience God's love, I just seem more drawn toward this option, this career, or whatever it might be. Probably then you may have a second mode discernment in process, not yet complete. That person has not yet received that full sufficient clarity and understanding and just needs to stay in the process of discernment. Okay. But like first mode discernment, second mode discernment also leads to clarity, sufficient clarity and understanding. All the clarity that a person needs to discern is given in a time of second mode discernment. It's just given in a different mode, which is what makes it obviously second mode discernment. All right, we, uh, we have a next experience here, but I think um, in terms of time, we'll stop here and uh, we'll pick this up when we come back. You've been listening to the audio taken from the seminar on discerning the will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download other recordings from this seminar and so much more from Father Gallagher, visit discerninghearts.com or locate them within the free Discerning Hearts app. You can also view this series of talks on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Discerning the Will of God with Father Timothy Gallagher.